Hey there, this is Gregory Williams, and I'm the senior pastor of Transform Church. Welcome to our podcast. I hope the following presentation really inspires you to deepen your faith walk and encourages you along your journey. Enjoy the message. Well, if you went here with us last week, we started a brand new series, and it's called We Are The Church. Oh, you guys are good. You guys are better today than you were last week. We are the church, right? And so we're talking about the church that Jesus envisioned, right? And we're trying to examine who we are in the light of Christ's mission through us and in us to who we are in our culture. You know, Jesus' mission was not just to engage people emotionally, but he taught for transformation. He wanted lives to be transformed. And because we have been transformed to transform others, we then become conduits for God's blessing in our life so we can take that message of transformation to our friends, to our neighbors, to the people around us, and we actually become, as Jesus said, the salt and the light to this world, you know? And it's important that we come to a complete understanding of who we are in God's mission to this culture. Because if we don't grasp who we are and we don't have a, a full, complete comprehension of what we are required to do or what we are supposed to do, then we just do life the way that we think we should do life. But there's a greater mission and a greater purpose at stake. There is a calling on every single one of you. There is a mission in your DNA. You were born with purpose. You didn't arrive by accident. You arrived on purpose for a purpose. And so it's important for us to understand in his church, his movement, his mission is to see transformation occur, not just in our life, but in the lives around us as well. We can't be isolated. We can't live an island unto ourselves and not impact the world because then there's no transformation and the work of Jesus Christ and the complete mission of why Jesus came, it becomes irrelevant if we who are called to be Christ followers don't follow an example of him who we say we follow, right? So as I said before, as I said last week, we are not called to go to church, we are called to be the church, right? So we gather together, and when we gather, we gather together as the church. And that doesn't mean that when you leave this building, when you leave this place, that you are no longer the church. You are the church in your home. You are the church at your workplace. You are the church wherever you are, on the streetcars, in the buses, on the subways, wherever it may be, you are the church because Christ lives in you. And so we don't attend church, we are the church. And so if we are the church, how do we align our lives with the mission of Jesus? That's the question we have this morning. And so the topic for today is called faith work. Faith work. And the big question I have for you in this particular topic is, where does our life and our faith intersect? Where does life and faith intersect? So often we talk about having faith like it's something that we possess, right? But faith requires a component of activity. Passive faith is not real faith. Faith needs 
something for it to become potent. You can't say, I believe in something and have a thought in your mind. And if that thought doesn't manifest in an action, then your belief is just a thought in your mind. If we are just thinking about faith, how does faith become active in our world? We oftentimes, we internalize faith like it's in us, right? We say we have faith and do you have faith? We have questions about faith, but we internalize it. It's internal. But how do we take what's on the inside and bring it out into the world so it actually impacts the world? Because a private faith is a useless faith. Because it doesn't change anyone. But Jesus came... To change the world. So, when we take what's on the inside, our strong faith, and bring it on the outside where it impacts someone, that's when it becomes real faith. Because faith is not necessarily what I believe. Faith is what I put into practice. It's what I practice It's what I put into effect really confirms what I believe. Because if I don't believe it, I'm not going to do it. So my faith internal has to become manifest on the outside external for it to be put into practice to tell myself and everyone else, this is what I believe. Having a thought doesn't change the world, but it's when we actually manifest it. Belief that is not thought brought into the world is just a system of thought that does not impact the world. And therefore, faith is not active. So how do we get active faith? Let me, let me ask you to think about that for a second. How do we get active faith? You know, so often in my world, I get to go and visit people who sometimes are sick and in the hospital. You know, when someone that you love is sick, your son your daughter, your husband, your wife, your spouse, a friend of yours that you care about, an uncle, a relative, wherever it may be, you think about that person. Your thoughts or your prayers, in some cases, go towards them, right? And I've done many hospital visits and and see the concern on people's faces as they sit there and their loved one is lying on a bed. You know, they're praying and they're hoping that this person that they care about, that they invested in, that they love is going to recover, that they're going to make it out of the hospital, that they're going to go back to normal activities. And then we get to pray and I see sometimes the concern in people's hearts and lives as we pray for this person that's sick. And also the person who's sitting there, the loved one who wants to do something but necessarily can't do anything because, you know, they don't have the ability to do it. Most of us are not doctors, and so therefore we can't be instrumental in the recovery of someone who we love and care about who's sick in the hospital. We have just the opportunity to be there, to be present, to pray for them, to support them, to love them, and to encourage them. But we are not necessarily able to do anything to help them recover, except maybe pray for them. How does that feel? When you're sitting by someone who you care about and you don't know what's going to happen to them. You're praying, you're hoping, you're thinking, hopefully this will work out, that we will come out of the hospital, that everything will be fine. 
I remember a while ago, I ended up with a broken arm. Some of you know the story of that. And quite soon after that, my grandmother had a heart attack. And so she was rushed to the hospital. And my grandmother, who I love dearly, she's not around anymore. She passed away a few years ago. But I love her with all of my heart. She is the most difficult patient you can find. She hates the hospital. I don't think anyone does love the hospital, but she hates the hospital with a passion. She would rather tell someone that she's fine, that she can walk across water when she's about to fall down, just not to get to the hospital. So she ended up in the hospital because she did have a heart attack. And so they did a few tests, and they said, you know, it's best that we stay there. But she was determined. She's like, you know, I'm not staying. I'm checking myself out. She literally wanted to check herself out. And at that time, my parents were still at work, and so I had to call them, and they're like, okay, we'll come and pick you up because she's not going to stay here. I had my arm in a sling, and there's not much I can do. I'm like, this woman, I'm like, Grandma, you need to stay. And she's like, no, I'm checking out. I'm getting out of this place. I hate this place. And so finally, they, the hospital they didn't have a choice. They agreed. We put her in a wheelchair. I took her down to the lobby, and I was waiting for my father to come up and pick us up. And so I was trying as best as I can with one broken arm to steer this wheelchair because the orderlies had left us in the lobby because we had to wait for my father. And so we're waiting there. And so as we're waiting there, she has another heart attack. And she starts gurgling, and she's about to fall over. And like I'm trying to pay attention to her and talk to her in the middle of a busy lobby, mind you. And there's tons of people around, but there's nowhere and no one that can help. And like, I'm not sure what to do because I can't help her. I don't know how to help her in this situation. I know she's, always, she's almost about to collapse, even in the wheelchair. Her hands are going limp. Her, her drool is rolling out of her mouth. And she's about to fall over onto the floor. And all I can do is try to support her with one hand. And so I want to help, but I'm not sure what to do. So I try to run to the reception and say, I really need help. But to do that, I have to leave her alone. So finally, I tried to prop her up as much as I can, and she, she kind of started to recover a little bit. And so I ran to the reception and said, I need help. And they just said, well, you need to take her to emergency. All right, so I had to wheel her into the emergency and try then to get her back checked in. And of course, you have to go through the whole process again. They're not just going to let you go back to your room and so that was a very traumatic thing. And, and so the question for you and me, for us, is what would you do in a situation when your loved one is at a place where you can't do anything to help them? And I was praying, but they still had this massive heart attack. Let me tell you a story about five friends. These friends, these guys, they hung out all the time together. You know, they would go to outings together, they would chill together, they'd have dinner together, they grew up together, you know, and they kind of got houses together in the same vicinity so they can always hang out together, and they probably worked in the same area as well, and so they spent a lot of time together. These five friends were really close, and eventually, one of them started to feel sick. Now, I'm not talking about just a cold or a head, you know, head cold or anything like that. They were starting to get really sick. 
And at first it was just some stiffness in their legs and, you know, it's sore and they couldn't walk properly. But then that stiffness started to spread out and it started to affect their back and they couldn't stand up straight and walk really well. And so then they had to lie down on a bed and, and a few days and weeks later, this person was absolutely paralyzed. They couldn't do anything. They were bedridden. They couldn't move. They couldn't do anything. And you can imagine the stress of that family. He was perhaps the one that would bring in all the food, the breadwinner of the family, his friends who loved and cared about him. They were really concerned as well because he was paralyzed. He couldn't do anything. And you can think about, you know, when, when one of your family members gets sick, how that disrupts the normal routine of your life. Because when your loved one, your family, your son, your daughter gets sick, you're not going to do normal stuff. You're not going to go to work like it's normal. You call your boss. You say, I can't come into work today because my family member is sick. You, don't, you go from mission normal to mission critical because everything in your world has to stop because this is not normal life. Something's changed. So your routine has to change as well to accommodate this crisis that somehow come up in your life. And so they couldn't do life the normal way because everything had to stop. But then they heard that something could help. They heard that there was a guy named Jesus who could heal their friend. Unfortunately, Jesus was not in town. He was not in Capernaum at that moment. Mark, who is Peter's biographer, he got his gospel from Peter. It's actually Peter's story. Mark at some point sat down with the apostle Peter, and Peter told him the story of his life. And Mark begins to write down. So Mark is telling us Peter's story. So Mark says this, Peter had invited Jesus to his house because his mother-in-law was sick. And so Jesus came after doing some preaching in the synagogue. He went to Peter's house. His mother-in-law is sick. Jesus heals her and raises her up. And pretty soon, everyone in Capernaum had heard what Jesus had did. And Mark, who's documenting Peter's words, says, The whole city came to his house. They brought sick people, they brought possessed people, they brought them so much that the streets were crowded. These narrow streets in Capernaum were crowded with people bringing their loved ones who were sick and ailing to this man who, who they knew had healed someone. And so Jesus, out of his compassion and his love, he begins to heal and he casts out demons. He does all these marvelous things for these people. But Jesus didn't just come to heal people. Jesus came for a greater mission, a greater purpose. He came to start a movement. He came to change everything. And so he tells the disciples, let's leave this place and go into the other places because I've come to spread the good news of the kingdom. And so Jesus and his disciples, they leave Capernaum and they carry around, they travel around Galilee in the surrounding areas that are not as populated and Jesus begins to preach and teach. But the crowd, they hear where Jesus is. And so even though he's in the wilderness place, they come out long distances bringing their sick people for Jesus to heal. So Jesus says to his disciples, you know, we might as well just go back to Capernaum. And this is where Mark tells us what happens. 
So Jesus returns to his headquarters, which is his home base in Capernaum. And he's there for a few days, but then word gets out that Jesus is back in Capernaum. This is what the text says. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers, there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. So he comes back home, he goes into this house, they pack the house out, they come up, they surround the house, they surround the streets, there are a number of people, perhaps thousands of people that have gathered to listen and get to Jesus. Now these friends who knew what Jesus had did heard again, like everyone else, that Jesus had come back and this is the opportunity that they have been waiting for. They knew that if they could get their friend to Jesus, he would be able to do something. He'd be able to help lift their friend out of this bedridden state. But they, not just, they didn't just believe that Jesus could do it. They had to do something about it. They had to take their friend to Jesus. Because faith without action does not bring any healing to their friend. Their faith internal prompted them to act external. Their faith directed them in where they needed to go. What they believed was possible resulted in what they knew they had to do to bring healing to their friend. And so... Mark says further, again, reciting Peter, and this is really Peter's story. He says, some men came carrying to him, Jesus, a paralyzed man carried by four of them. His four friends carried him. But they couldn't get to Jesus because there were so many people surrounding the house. They couldn't get in because the streets were packed, the house was packed, everything was jam-packed. But they were not about to give up because of the crowd. See, we often think that struggling is not from God. What won't you do for someone that you loved? If there was an obstacle, if there were people in the way, would you go, okay, well, we brought the guy this far, I guess that's it. We can't do anything else. I know we love you, but sorry, there's too many people we can't get to Jesus, so let's just go back home. What would you do for someone that you loved? So often we think that when God calls us on a mission, when God calls us to a purpose, that if we encounter obstacles, God's not in it, because God can't give us problems. He can't put things in the way of us because, you know, everything has to be smooth. We have to have a, a nice, smooth run because if there's any speed bumps, if there's any obstacles, that's not God. I guess God doesn't want me to do this because why is there a crowd? Why can't I get to Jesus? I guess I prayed for like two minutes and nothing happened. So I guess it's not from God. If God really wanted me to have that job, then I wouldn't have to struggle and write all this essay and all these things. It would just automatically come to me. See, we live in a world 
that prioritizes comfort over everything else, even the will of God. Most Christians are not on a spiritual quest. We are on a happiness quest. We want to be happy. And the God we invented for this quest is a God of material comfort. So as long as we are comfortable, that means God is with us. As long as things are going smoothly, then God is with me. As soon as there's a bit of struggle, as soon as there's a little bit of opposition, then God can't be in it because God won't put anything in front of me or God won't allow struggles to come into my life because we think that obstacles, pain, struggles, hurt is not what God wants for us. To prove this to you, let me ask you a question. If you had a choice to pay $2,000 for air conditioning at your home or give $200 to a charity in need, which one would you do? Because you're on a comfort quest. If you had to go out for dinner and pay $200 for a nice meal with your loved one, you would do it. But to give $50 in church is a struggle. Because you're on a comfort quest. You're not on a spiritual quest. We are all looking for comfort and not necessarily to do what God asks us to do. Some of you might be offended. And that's the reason. You would rather spend something that makes you comfortable then be a little bit uncomfortable to give a much smaller portion to something else because all of us want to be comfortable. And that's who we've invented, this God who is there to give us material comforts. And so that's why we can pray for the big house and the new car, but we won't pray, God, let your will be done in my life because God might ask you to do something that you're not comfortable with. I would encourage you to read some of the stories in the scripture of men and women on God who had to persevere through obstacles to get what God told them that we're supposed to get. It didn't come easy to them. It didn't just fall into their lap. It came at a cost. But the priority of their life was not necessarily my comfort. The priority of their life was, what is God's will for my life? And so the scripture says, Peter says this story, he says, since they could not get to Jesus, they didn't give up, they didn't turn around, they didn't go back home because they cared about this individual. They wanted to see transformation in his life. And so they said, because of the crowd, they made an opening on the roof above Jesus. They went to drastic measures to get their friend to Jesus. They didn't give up because of the crowd. Somehow they made their way on the roof. And if you know anything about first century Jewish homes, they had flat roofs with wood and mud and grass grew up there. So they went up there. I don't know where they got their shovel from. Maybe they dug with their hands, but they made a hole in this person's house. They didn't even think about the consequences of who the house belonged to and what reparations they had to pay after. Because they had someone they cared about and they needed to get him to Jesus. 
that was what they needed to do. They were not to give up, about to give up because someone put an obstacle in their way. They weren't about to give up because there were a few people in the way. They weren't about to give up because there was some confusion. No, they had a purpose. And obstacles weren't going to deter them. Because you see, in every challenge, there's an opportunity. You think a challenge comes to push you down, but there's an opportunity in every challenge. These guys recognize that they could not get to the front door, so they made their own door. Here's what's interesting. This is what Peter, who is observing this whole situation firsthand, says. He says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. And I ask you now to pay close attention to what Peter says. Jesus does not recognize the faith of the paralytic. He recognizes the faith of the four friends. He says, you, your faith. When he saw their faith, he said to their, their friend, son, your sins are forgiven. Their faith resulted in their action. Our faith must also result in our action. To employ our faith in our world that impacts our world around us, it has to be an act of faith that changes lives and makes a difference in the life of those around us because of a faith that's internal, that doesn't change anything, is not real faith. It doesn't change anything. A thought, a hope, a belief, if not acted on, does not change anything. Jesus saw their faith because their faith brought them from their home, past obstacles, made holes in roofs to get to Christ. Jesus saw their faith. So in this story, we find the church. At least the expression of the church in our world. And each of us, all of us here, find ourselves or should find ourselves in one of these people. This is the picture of the church. And all of us fit into one of these types of people. We all identify, and that's what Peter's trying to illustrate when he tells the story. We have to identify with someone in this scenario. How we respond, how you and I respond, is a reflection of our heart attitude towards each other and God. How we respond to our world is a reflection of your heart. Because what is inside has to come on the outside. If it's uncaring, then that's what your expression would be. If it's loving, then that's what your expression would be. If it's compassionate, then that's what your expression would be. So our heart reflects what's inside. The world that we culture is a mirror that we get to see how we reflect in. So the question for you and I this morning is, which person do we see ourselves in? Which person 
do we identify with? And to highlight that, let me share with you a few of them. See, in every church, you will have someone in need. You see someone in need. This guy, he was paralytic. He couldn't walk. He had to lie down on his mat all day. Maybe someone in your world is in need, and maybe that someone is you. Battling depression, pushing through trials in your life, feeling the loss of a loved one, feeling hopeless, feeling addicted or addicted to stuff. Maybe you're a single parent struggling with children and trying to raise a godly son or daughter. Maybe you're alone. Maybe you're financially, struggling financially. Anxiety is going on. In every church, there's someone in need. And maybe you are that someone. And it's not just in here, is it? Not just in our community, not just in our faith community. There's neighbors and friends and the world at large that is in desperate need, not just because they're sick physically, but they could be sick emotionally, psychologically. They might not even realize they're sick. So often, as men, I had this problem, you know, when my wife tells me, I think you need to go to the doctor. I'm like, no, 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 I'm fine. Oh, it's all good. You know, maybe I got that from my grandmother. But <laughs> oftentimes, we're like, we're fine. Because we don't want to acknowledge that we're not feeling well. And sometimes people out there, they don't want to acknowledge that they're going through struggle, they're going through crisis, they're going through problems. But we recognize and we see. We see someone in need. So how do we respond? Do we respond like these three friends? Do we let them lie sick on their bed and say it's up to you to figure it out? See, love compels us to act when we see a need in the world. Love compels us because that's what Jesus did. That's why Jesus came. God saw a world in need and therefore Jesus came to meet that need. He came ultimately to show us what true love is and ultimately what sacrificial love is because he gave completely to his cause. And as I said last week, we have to be an irrationally generous church when it comes to expressing who God is in us. We have to care for those around us. We have to care for those who are far from us. And we have to care for everyone around us because that's what Jesus came to do, to show a broken world that there is love and hope and transformation. We can't let them lie sick and not take them to Christ. Then... In Jesus' church, you see someone who cares. These four friends, they cared. they cared. They heard about Jesus. They said, did you hear about that guy who healed this guy? And there were a lot of people in the city brought their sick people, and they gathered them, and Jesus was able to heal them and restore them. Did you hear about that, how he raised people from the dead? Did you hear about that, what he did for the sick, for the paralyzed? Let's take our friend, because I'm sure if we get him there, this guy will be able to do something about it. Let's go to Jesus. There's someone who cares. There's people in this church who care. They carried him to Jesus, the house where Jesus was teaching. Their faith activated their direction. So transformers, do we bring people to Jesus? 
Do we invite people who we know are going through problems because we know that Christ is the answer? If you've decided to follow Jesus, you know what he's done for your life. You know how he's transformed your life. You know how he's healed your condition. You know what he's done for your life. So why wouldn't you help someone who's just as desperate as you were and carry them to Christ? It's up to them whether they come, but you can extend an invitation. Do we carry them to Christ? We have to be a church. If we are the church of Jesus Christ, we have to be the church that is a radically caring church. Jesus often went out of his way to have encounters with people whose society and culture ostracized. He sat down with the prostitutes. He went and had dinner with the tax collectors. He went out of a way to meet an adulterous woman at a well. He sat there, and when people accused a person caught in the act of adultery, he spoke life into her. Remember, we don't attend the church. We are the church. And we exist as Christ did to bring life to others, to bring hope to others. So we will do anything short of sin to reach people who don't know Christ. To reach people no one is reaching, we have to do things no one is doing. Our faith cannot be internalized. It has to be exercised. It's not an internal faith. We have to exercise it. You see, Jesus says again, when Jesus saw the faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. When he saw their faith. Faith wasn't just an internal belief to them. Internal beliefs that are so strong show up in actions. Do you see their actions? See, your faith has to be exercised as you serve, as you give, as you welcome, as you forgive, as you love. That's how you exercise, you exercise what you believe. See, sometimes God doesn't always give us what we want. These guys, and if you're paying close attention to what Peter's telling us, these four men didn't bring this guy for forgiveness. They brought him for healing. But Jesus gave him forgiveness first. Because sometimes the root problem is not just the symptoms. Sometimes God gives us what we want, what we need, before he gives us what we want. God gives us what we need before he gives us what we want. See, some of us, we're in need. Some of us, we want to exercise care because that's how we operate in the kingdom of God. But in every church, we have someone who is in need, we have someone who cares, and this last portion is someone that we don't want to be, but it's in there in the story. You have someone who is critical. It says, now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? Talking about Jesus. He's blaspheming. 
Who can forgive sins but God? Who do you think you are, Jesus? You think you can just willy-nilly forgive people? Whoever you please? They shouldn't have been breaking through this house in the first place because that's not the kind of church we are. We want things in order. We have to make sure that everyone looks right, acts right, behaves right, says the right things before they can become part of the church. Who do you think you are letting those people come in here and act that way? We are the custodians. We are the caretakers. You can't just let some riffraff come in here. Rather than becoming the cheering squad to welcome people in, we become the admissions committee. We have to make sure that every box is checked. They look the right way. They look the right attitude. They smile the right way. They dress the right way. They don't have too much makeup on. They don't have less makeup on. Their skirt's long enough. Their hair's cut short. They say the right words. All the stuff we need to make sure because we are checking you out just like Santa Claus. And we're making sure whether you're naughty or nice. We pass judgment on who can be part of God's church when Christ threw the doors wide open and said, everyone, come in. All of you are welcome. It doesn't matter what you did. It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter what you're addicted to. It doesn't matter how you look like. It doesn't matter how you smell like. I want you all to come in because this is my church and this is the church that I'm going to build and the gates of hell will not defeat it because this is a church that is meant to love and to care and to give and to bless and to encourage. This is the church that I'm building. This is my church. Jesus doesn't stop for critics. He was too busy accomplishing his mission. See, when you're focused on the cause, you don't have time to pause. You don't have time for everything because you're so focused on what you're supposed to do. You're not worried about what the other people are saying because you don't have time to stop and give them attention and give them time because you realize that if you give them time, they're taking away from your purpose. They're taking away from who you're supposed to be. They're taking away from what you need to accomplish. So Jesus said to the man, I tell you this, as they criticize, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. How amazingly beautiful. In front of the critics who criticized, he took up his mat and walked out proudly. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. And 
This is the church that we want to see. And this is the church that we want to be. We want to be a church that's radically passionate about the mission of Jesus. And that's the church the world needs. A church that people say, we have never seen anything like these people before. We've never seen anything like this before. They love deeply. They love unconditionally. They meet the needs of those around us. And they care wholeheartedly. Because this is who Jesus is. That's who his church should be. That's who we should be. So let me ask you again. Which one are you in the story? Which one are you? What do you see? What do you hear? Do you see someone in need? Do you see someone who cares, or are you someone that's critical? Which one are you? Which one are you in the story of the church? What do you see? What do you do? How do you employ the gifts and talents that God has placed in you? How do you employ the generosity that God has poured into your life to equip His kingdom to be the kingdom of God? Who are we? The correct answer is we are the church. Amen. You and I, we're the church. We're the hands and the feet of Jesus. We're called to touch broken lives. We're called to love those who are hurting. We're called to bring people to Jesus for healing. We are someone in need. We all are someone who needs care. And if we care, we can be like Jesus who called us to meet every care and every need. Jesus called us to be part of his church because we are part of his body. And we have been given the opportunity, the amazing privilege of representing him to a broken world. It is the highest calling that you and I have in our life. It's not to go to work as much as that is important. It's not just to earn a paycheck as much as that is important to feed your family. The biggest privilege we've been given is to represent Him in every single arena of our life. To be like Jesus. To represent Him wherever we go. To act for Him. To speak for Him. To live for Him. And to love for Him. So Transformers, let's be the church. Let's be the real church. Not, let's not just go to church. Let's not show up on Sunday and sit in a pew and sit in a row and think we've got it all together and our life is good because we show up and we check a box because that's not what we're called to be. There's a greater calling on all single, every single one of us. There's a greater purpose for every single one of us. We're all called to be the church. You and I. Let's stand and be who Jesus called us to be. So let me ask you two questions as we bring this to a close. What specific action can you take this week to show someone you care? What specific action can you do this week or take this week to show someone you care? Maybe there's someone in your world who is in need 
of just your presence. Maybe you can just show up, spend some time, and you've been putting it off for a while, you've been setting it aside, you've been saying, I'm too busy, I have this to do, that to do. Maybe there's someone that you can take a gift to, buy a coffee, have a meal with, whatever. How do you take an action? And before you leave this place, think about it, write it down, make a commitment to yourself that I'm going to make sure I act this week in a, in a specific way that is going to show someone that you care. What specific action? An action. Because faith without action is not real faith. Number two, how can you start to express your faith in your life? Remember, faith is something that you put in practice. Faith is not just a belief system. Faith is something you put into practice. So, how can you start to express your faith in your life? How can you do that? How can you express that this week? Because it's not just about hearing. Jesus asked us and told us this. It's not just about hearing, but it's also more important to be in the doing. Because many people hear, not a lot of people do. Many people hear who Jesus is, but not many people follow. Hearing who Jesus is is not going to change your life. It's in the following that's going to transform your life. So faith is what I put into practice. And as this is like, we've just launched our vision this year, I want to share with you one component of our vision and what we are being generous with this year. And all of us get to partner with this. It's an amazing opportunity. And every year before COVID, I used to be able to visit the Philippines. And so this year, we're going to have a special mission month every month and every week it's going to be Mission Philippines where we're going, we are going to meet the need of impoverished people in the Philippines you know there's so many people that don't have what we have and oftentimes we think when Jesus talks about rich people that he's not talking about us there's those rich people not us we're just normal people but we are actually in the top 2% of the richest people in the world. Did you know that? If you have a car, if you live in a house, if you have a job, you're in the top percentage in this world. We are what Jesus calls rich. But we wouldn't consider that. We'd say, no, 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 it's the billionaires. Those are the rich guys. But we are rich. And so later this year, we'll be actually opening up a mission trip for people to go and you can be part of that mission trip. We're going to be able to go to the Philippines later this year. So if you're interested, come let us know because we'll tell you the details and what it's going to cost and how it's going to work out. But every month this year, we're going to have the opportunity to give towards a mission in the Philippines. And ultimately, let me tell you our purpose is to plan, transform church in Philippines. To have a local campus in the Philippines. That's what we're working towards. And to do that, we need the funds of the kingdom in order to go there, to plan a campus, 
to get a building, to get things in order. We need to do that. And so here's an opportunity for you and me to be generous. As we see how God works through our hands and how God can take a few resources and transform thousands of lives. And you get to be part of that amazing journey. The privilege of working with God in His kingdom. And if you're interested, you can come with us for a couple of weeks at the end of the year to go there and actually do and see where we're we're going to be sowing and serving and loving and doing all these wonderful things. I encourage you to be part of that. So let's be generous in our giving to impoverished communities. The work has to be done, and God has called us to do that work. And so every month, as I said, we'll have an opportunity. And I encourage you to save up something at the end of the month, and we'll take up a missional offering at the end of the month, and you can sow into part of what God is doing in our world, in our community. As I said before, we have to be in a rationally generous church. You know, oftentimes we think about ability and not capacity. We say, well, I don't have the ability to do that. But God sees our capacity because our capacity should be larger than our ability. Because if we are capable of doing something, God will pour it out into our life. But if we say, I'm just able to do this, then you are limited. Because you see, this is what one of the amazing scripture writers says. God is able to do, listen carefully, exceedingly and abundantly more than you can think or ask. Which means, if you just ask for one dollar, God is obligated by His Word to give you two. So if you just give sparingly, that's all you'll get in return. But when you give generously, you become a conduit because God realizes that you're pouring it into His purpose and He pours more into your life. And everyone who gives generously knows this. Talk to some of them that give or tithe. God pours out more and more. You can't even begin to contain because that's who He is. You cannot outgive God because that's who He is. He's a God of generosity. And He gives of Himself to you and me when we didn't even deserve it. He gives. So church transformers, let's be in a rationally generous church. Let's partner up with God and do amazing things for His kingdom. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. Hello again, and thank you so much for listening. I really hope that message has encouraged you. Would you please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast and leave us a review? This really helps others get exposed to this uplifting message. I would also love for you to share this message with a friend or someone you think would be really inspired and blessed by this. Sharing this on social media like Facebook really does help others also get this free content. I'm honored you chose to spend some of your valuable time with us. Have an amazing day.